0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Bloke and a Bird show and racing is back this week.
1: Yes and our house smells amazing.
0: I'm not sure those are related.
1: Well they're kind of not but in our own special way since we're not like football fans we're tailgating this race.
0: Oh is that how this works? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know we started cooking really early we're smoking a pork shoulder it's gonna be good food and racing fun this afternoon okay the only thing we didn't do was, you know park a giant ugly van in the backyard so we could stand outside and drink beer and go Yup. <laughs> yep. Well, I-,
0: I have some special stats for this week about the race in Belgium.
1: Does it involve chocolate and the uh, well, weight look, ratio to massa?
0: I don't. I don't have that stat. I didn't pull <laughs> that one up. Um, that one we did share through the the bloke and a bird show uh, page. You'll need to check that out as well as um, Infinity getting Infinity USA getting a little cheeky with their car listing. <laughs> that picture's there too. But some of the stats we have here. Okay. Um, first Belgian GP was in 1950. Yes. Um, Current circuit distance is 7.004 kilometers, and the lap record is 1 minute 47.263 seconds, set by Sebastian Vettel in a Red Bull in 2009. Okay, but we get better. Okay. Most wins by driver, Michael Schumacher, was 6. Most wins by team, Ferrari, was 16, followed by uh, McLaren, with 14, and 8 for Lotus we also have another chocolate fact for you. Belgium produces 220,000 tons of chocolate a year, which is about 22 kilograms per Belgium.
1: Which is one third of Massa's body weight. Yeah. This, I find that we should always, you know, make sure that we compare things to Massa's body weight.
0: I, I've got more. Okay, We're not done yet. okay? Venetian Lothario Giacomo Cas- Casanova used to bathe in and drink the natural springs of spa dubbed the cafe of europe chips as in french fries because it's this is coming from the bbc these stats they were invented in belgium but it has one of the lowest proportion of mcdonald's outlets per inhabited in the developed world
1: well when did mcdonald's become the standard for chips
0: i think they're one of the biggest producers or sellers
1: okay have we ever tasted their french fries i mean they're disgusting they're
0: not disgusting. They're not bad. They're not great. I mean, there's better fries out there. There are better disgusting. fries.
1: Let me introduce okay. you to five guys. Yeah,
0: I, I'm, I'm not saying that they're great fries, but they're better fries. But we're not done yet. I got more.
1: But wait, there's more? Yes, I don't even there's
0: more. I do comment on this. Belgians reportedly drink 150 liters of beer per person per year. That's 20 liters more than an F1 car's fuel tank holds. Okay. And finally, Spa has a 25-room laundry museum, which includes a history of soap.
1: (laughs) I read that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to go there just for the history of soap.
0: Now, I should also mention that as we are recording this, the race has ended, but we have not seen it.
1: And unlike many other times when it is possible that in our research we have come up with the actual information about who won the race, I am confident that I do not know anything that has happened during the race.
0: I know a little, but not enough that really tells me anything that happened. But, you know, we prepared for it this time. You Why are you giving me that look?
1: You don't know who won, do no. you? No. Okay. Because otherwise, I'd have to like choke you till you told. No,
0: me. I, I I don't know who won. Um, the reason for that, we are actively downloading, it, and I will harken back to a comment that Phil posted over on the Facebook page this morning. Uh, this morning, as in as we record this, this morning, because he's getting
1: frustrated, frustrated
0: as we predicted, getting frustrated with NBC Sports coverage. Yes. so where we are with our own getting the race right now well I'll, I'll just say this puzzling um, and obviously disappointing
1: because <laughs> it takes us a long time
0: <laughs> T- today in particular it's taking us longer than normal to get the race what we do to answer your question Phil and for everybody out there the solution that we have it works as well as it does because we're a Mac household mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you can't do something similar with, say, Windows, but what we do is, for starters, we have an application that only runs on a Mac called Get iPlayer Automator. Now, what Get iPlayer Automator does, and if you're in England, you in the UK, you may want to also look into this if you have a Mac, it goes through both BBC's iPlayer's page and ITV's iPlayer page, and has the ability to download shows that are posted to those pages and import them directly into iTunes. Right. Which makes all those shows portable. Which is very cool. If you're outside of the UK, it does have the ability to pull the to pull those shows using a proxy server if you've got a good proxy server. What we have done because we've struggled with Finding a reliable proxy server is that we've gone ahead and we've purchased a VPN service that terminates in the UK. Right. So when we turn this on and we're using Safe, Surf Easy, um, when we turn this on, we essentially have a UK IP address, which allows us to go and browse and download from the BBC sites and from ITV sites um, as if we we're over in the UK. Now, when we forget to turn this off, we can get some interesting search results. <laughs> Amazon gets a little weird sometimes when you go over to it with the UK address and your accounts in the US. Um, but yeah, um, if you are not a Mac household, you can still leverage uh, the VPN. Right. What you would do is instead, um, BBC has their own application, it's Mac and Windows base, uh, that you can download shows from them, provided it sees that you're in the UK. However, you can't pull those shows outside of the downloaded application. Right. So you're not quite as portable that way.
1: Yeah. But we do have a workaround. That's the way we do it. That's why we are always later in watching the show than live. Um, but we get to enjoy the BBC, which means that we get to enjoy DC and EJ, and Susie Perry.
0: Now, a couple of things to note there, and, and the reason why we're still waiting for the race is sometimes that VPN connection can be slow. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's taking a bit for us to download the race. Um, you'll notice if you're used to NBC sports coverage, it's a whole different ball game when the BBC covers, especially when they cover live, because they don't carry every race live. Correct. Um, Spa happen. They carry about ten races a year live. Everything else are highlights, which is about ninety percent of the race. But their race coverage, on average, includes anywhere from forty-five minutes to an hour of pre-race. Coverage and analysis, and depending on how long the race goes, could be another half hour to 45 minutes of post-race analysis. And if it is a live race, they also have their forum, which is an online-only piece, too. Correct. Which is another probably 40 minutes.
1: And the other things that you would want to remember is that the BBC runs without commercials.
0: Not a one.
1: Nope. No commercials. So it can become a three-hour straight extravaganza and no oh, i'll wait to the next commercial to get up to go to the bathroom you actually have to pause it yeah um which frustrates michael to no end <laughs>
0: depends on what
1: but um they get better they're on the track so when they're calling the race and things like that they are actually there unlike the nbc sports who are calling it from sanford connecticut um no, i
0: think they're in charlotte
1: nope they're in stanford I can tell you that because part of the stories I can tell you about NBC is that Lee Diffie and Stephen Matchett today, today, are having a very long day. Their day started at 4 o'clock this morning with pre-race prep for the Belgium Grand Prix. Then they had about an hour and a half to get from Connecticut to somewhere in Pennsylvania in order to cover the Indy car race that's this afternoon. They are both hosting that one live, and their coverage and work tonight will end at about 6 o'clock this evening. It's a 14-hour day for the Matchett and Diffie Duffy, mm. uh, combo.
0: See, I thought NBC Sports, and, and it may be Speed that was down in Charlotte.
1: Yes, Speed was in Charlotte.
0: And, and that may have been what it was, is that NBC moved them up to Connecticut.
1: Yeah, there was, um, according to the article I read, um... There is exactly an hour and a half wiggle room between the two races with all of their transport and everything like that. Basically, nothing can go wrong to get them from point A to point B. Um, And then Lee Diffie was interviewed and said, as a little boy in Australia, he only could dream of becoming a foreign correspondent for motor racing. And the fact that he has gotten to uh, host NASCAR, Indy, and Formula One in one calendar week is just putting him over the moon.
0: Okay, the other the other comparison to th- that needs to be made between BBC's coverage and NBC's coverage is that ninety percent of the races, like you said, they not only are they called from somewhere else, but the only there's only one trackside reporter mm-hmm. and maybe a producer and a camera person for NBC Sports. For the BBC, you have their presenters who are trackside one of those presenters also calls the race along with somebody else both of them are trackside although the thing is yes they're they're quote unquote trackside because of how the press rooms at some of these tracks are, are laid out they might be somewhere in the infield in a cinder block room watching it all on on monitors <laughs> but that's but they're at the track though
1: right and they do they do what they call pit walks where they can walk down the pits and they can talk to people they have prearranged walking through certain garages Um, there are also two other people that are on track doing post-race interviews. Well, well, you've
0: got two pit lane reporters, independent of the guys calling the race and the folks who have presented the race. You've got two pit lane reporters, plus you also have Alan McNish, who's just there for technical expertise, who's wandering around doing his own thing on top of it. Right. I mean, the size of their team that they bring, and they bring for the most part – the same size team, plus or minus maybe two, mm-hmm. to every race, whether or not they cover it live.
1: Yeah. It's impressive. It's impressive. And the commitment. Now, I was reading an article this week about Bernie renegotiating with the BBC because he um, he wants the BBC to be involved. Mm-hmm. But I guess the deal coverage and such may change the... the form that BBC is going to be part of um, F1, whether I think it's cutting some coverage or increasing coverage. But Bernie's trying to sort that out because the BBC is, according to Bernie, the BBC is important to Formula One, so we should have them involved. But they need to pay him, you know, to do that.
0: Well, the 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 issue there, I mean, with with the UK coverage is – You've got Sky, who also covers it, and I don't know if they carry all of them live or just the ones that the BBC doesn't have live, but you've got Sky's coverage, which basically sits behind a paywall. You've got to subscribe to get to them, and I believe Sky even has a 24-hour Formula One channel Mm. on top of that. So you've got that whole piece that sits behind a paywall, and then you have the BBC, which is essentially free.
1: And that's part of what Bernie wants to make sure is that Formula One stays outside a paywall on the BBC.
0: Then that could be very interesting because a lot of what folks have attributed the drop in viewership to in several countries, including Germany and France, is the fact that their coverage shifted behind a paywall. Yeah. And when they did that, they lost viewership.
1: Well, and that can, thats I mean, that's, makes perfect sense when we did our story on how much it costs to be an f1 fan the paywall for sky sports is like 500 pounds a year yeah um
0: you know i wasn't going to mention a story i had cut it originally but since you have gone in this general direction yes, autosport this week and it's unfortunately it's a premium story which means you've got to subscribe to them in order to read it uh spoke to the marketing the person who is in charge of marketing for Formula One. It's a third-party company that is very close, closely aligned with Bernie, but they are an auto sports marketing company. They don't just do Formula One; they do NASCAR, and they do they have some degree of some promotional stuff with IndyCar as well. And spoke to him about what he feels that Formula One needs to be doing to market market the sport. Um, Some of the things that he mentioned, and and he compares because he's got the familiarity, he's been in sports marketing for a while, he he compares NASCAR's decline and slow rebuilding, and one of the things that he says was a key point in NASCAR's decline was drivers at the end of a weekend getting out of a car and being asked what they thought of the drive and what they thought of the car, and the drivers turning around and going – um yeah it was terrible you shouldn't be i don't know why people watch this think saying things like that
1: and isn't that not what button said about a week or so ago no no because we had the story about button talking up it was button talking about how the drivers should be um more positive because the fans pick up on the drivers being negative
0: well you have that and you've got, in particular, you've got Fernando Alonso, mm-hmm. that, who is constantly spouting his mouth off that it, the racing is boring, the racing is bad. Had, as much as I like Mark Webber, you had Mark Webber doing it, too, for several years. Yeah. Now, NASCAR has gone almost draconian in their response to that. They realize that, that that's a bad thing. But unfortunately, they've gone so far as they find drivers if they're not speaking positive. Drivers are afraid to speak their mind. And NASCAR, the, the last couple of races, has been testing out uh, some rules and, and testing out some downforce and and how that impacts the racing. And there were several that did not go very well. And the drivers didn't like it and would barely comment on it. Wow. And I think you still need the drivers willing to speak their mind, but you've got to have drivers who are smart enough to stop for a second and go, gee, maybe I shouldn't be coming out and saying the racing sucks and it's boring.
1: Right. Because I think that if you look at the button model, Mm -hmm. and I I mean I hate to really harp on button, but... Oh, we got more on him later, don't worry. But if you look at the button model, you never get a a, a thought that he doesn't tell you what he's thinking Mm-hmm. But he always, being that that consummate company man, he always spins it with, even if it's the worst day on the track, and he will then turn around and go, but I still get to drive in Formula One. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, yeah, he can have a bad day, and he can go, it sucked out there, and it was awful, but I still get to drive in Formula One, and that makes it awesome. Yeah, And that's what Fernando is missing. He's all suck, no, but the worst day on the track is still a better day doing anything else.
0: But he loves Formula One so much, he built a museum to himself and a go-kart track.
1: Yeah, do we have to talk about the museum to himself? Because it kind of made me want to stick my own fingers down my mouth, in that, my throat. That,
0: that was all I had on it. I mean, oh. I, I kind of want to see the cars, but that's about it. Anyway. A
1: shrine to Fernando.
0: Anyway, well, he paid for it.
1: It's uh, so a set? self-built shrine. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I, I I can't get on board with the love affair of this guy. I just can't.
0: What about the love love affair of Kimi Raikkonen? Can you get on board with that?
1: The man of no words,
0: of little words. You know, they 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 asked him his opinion this week on he was re-signed by Ferrari, which I don't completely understand. And they asked him his opinion, and of course, it started with, "Well, because uh, well, I've known for some good. time." Yeah,
1: that's what he said. Um. Kimmy is Kimmy. I mean, (laughs) yeah, that that, that's the best I can say. Uh, The deal that he cut with Ferrari, it's only a one-year deal.
0: Well, basically, they had an option. He he's on a two-year or he's on a one-year contract with an option for a second, and and they exercised the option for the second. There's some good points in either direction as to why to keep him and why to let him go. He's definitely. I don't think he is performing up to the standards that Ferrari needs. He is. I I don't believe that he is made the effort to integrate himself into Ferrari like Ferrari would expect. Mm-hmm. But this is also a very different Ferrari, as was we were reminded yesterday, um, in in that you know they're allowing folks to walk through their garage and, and they're a bit more open to folks speaking with them. But on the other hand, okay, so you get rid of um, Kimmy, where you've had. At the very least, he's got a good relationship with Seb. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He does, he's a known quantity with Ferrari. They've dealt with him before. They know what he's like. And instead, you look at possibly Valtteri Bodas, who is doing as well, if not maybe just slightly better than the guy that you got rid of to bring in, Kimmy. Mm-hmm. And it probably would have cost you somewhere in the area of sixteen to twenty million pounds to bring him in.
1: Well, I think to get that, him
0: out of his contract.
1: I think that part of the the math is how many thousands millions of pounds it was going to cost to buy somebody out of somebody that they were looking at. Because I mean, it was not just Botos they were looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and by waiting another year, that number starts to drop down. Ferrari is still. In a rebuilding period. And you cannot deny. As much as we have seen them start to make inroads on Mercedes. They're still in a rebuilding year. And Arive Vene has said. That this is. It's still rebuilding. And my understanding from the commentators. Is that Kimi is very, very good at giving feedback to the engineers. And while he is very well poised to be in that old Ferrari ethos of a number two driver. He's a good at that position. And, um, I think that there was a whole lot of drama wrapped around whether or not they were going to keep him. And I think everybody if any, wanted to kill the drama. Like, let's get this done. Because he didn't wait till Monza to announce.
0: Yeah. And that's when you think they would have definitely, well, if there wasn't a decision then.
1: Yeah.
0: Um... Before we mention Monza, because I got something to go back to Monza about. Valtteri has come out and said that a lot of this speculation—let's go back to this being silly season—and and some of the goal of silly season, but a lot of this speculation and all the things that went on kind of damaged his relationship with Williams a bit. Wow. Um, he doesn't—he doesn't have a contract for next year yet. But I guess Williams has first right refusal. Right. And they have not refused it. They haven't done anything either way on it. Um, Moss is in, in a similar situation. The expectation is they're going to keep both drivers. There's no reason not to. Unless, I don't know, maybe Nico Hulkenberg drives up with a couple of truckloads of cash. But I don't think he will.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh-huh. Nico would be phenomenal for Williams, quite frankly. He's driven for them before. But, I mean, he's a very good driver. Um, But Pat Simmons came out and said that the Ferrari mess was destructive. And so I think that that Botas is feeling what that destruction looks like. And I think it's going to be a measure of how mature he becomes as a driver and as a uh, team member because he's got to learn how to handle the swirl of silly season – and yet continue his commitment with his drive. And I'm not saying that he didn't do it. I'm just saying that you can't allow the swirl to become destructive like Pat Simmons described. Yeah.
0: So So back over to Monza. Okay. Bernie.
1: Oh, Bernie.
0: Bernie has come out this week. um, Actually, it was this past Friday, and made some comments that uh, suggest that hopes for signing Monza – is now starting to fade a bit, which is really disturbing because it sounded like things were we're looking up. Uh, What he said is that, I don't know about Monza at the moment. I have meetings there in September, so we will see. I hope we don't lose it, but I think there is a good chance we will. And it's still a funding thing. Um, He comes back to that, you know, he's not willing to give them a cut price deal. He doesn't want to, as he says, we don't want to give more than we give other people. We want to give the same, which I don't, completely understand because monza is a marquee event you have the italian fans you have ferrari who you need to keep happy Mm -hmm. you you do all kinds of stupid things to keep ferrari happy this is their home race monaco you host that you give them that race for free Yeah. So what is this? We don't want to give them any more than we give other people. Are you not willing to go and and give them the race for free? Do you want them to, you know,
1: but it's
0: are they asking you to give them money in addition to giving them the race for free? I mean, what what's the deal?
1: But even that I mean, other venues, no venue has got the same deal. So how can you say we want to give everybody the same deal? No two venues have the same deal. They're all individually cut. I mean, goodness gracious, you also then turn around, and he's also come out in the past week, um, that he's very hopeful that the German Grand Prix will be back on the schedule next year um, because it's going to Hockenheim. It's Hockenheim's year.
0: Oh, he, he took a major stab at the, the owners at Nürburgring. Oh, yeah. Um, he came out and he said, we have a contract with Hockenheim until 2018, so let's see what happens. I believe they'll get some support. They need support from Germany. He believes the event Hockenheim will will become the event's regular home if its future is secured. Um, with the people who have taken over the Nurburgring, Nurburgring, I don't think they are that interested. Eccles instead, they are not racers. Hockenheim are. Yeah. I mean,
1: I know, I know. It's it's the world of fair according to Bernie.
0: And and the thing is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that. Over the next couple of years, Hock, or not Hockenheim, Hock, Monza is approaching its centennial. Right. They want Formula One there for its centennial. And Formula One should want to be there. I mean, that is going to be as premier as it could be. I don't know why Formula One would, why Bernie would even think to screw around and take the chance of not being at a, at a track for its centennial.
1: I don't know either, but we are trying to sort out the mind of Bernie Eccleston. I mean, it it makes no sense to me.
0: So, moving off of Monza, a little rumor has come out regarding Red Bull and Lotus and all of those... Another level of silly season. Yes. Um, Supposedly... Red Bull is considering terminating its contract with Renault at the end of this season.
1: Okay, that'd
0: be a year early. This is this is something that Autosport is, is uh, claiming. Now we know that tensions are high. Um, it's believed that there are performance clauses in the contract, and Red Bull is ser- is strongly considering acting them or, or activating them. Um, now, where would they go?
1: Well, I know that originally the talk had been either Ferrari or Mercedes.
0: It would be Mercedes. That that that, or that that's what they're tr- What the thought is. Some of what's weighing apparently on um, Red Bull's decision is the possibility of Renault buying out Lotus and returning to Formula One with a works team. Ah, that th- there's a theory there that 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 is a lot of what is motivating what is going on at Red Bull right now. Now, over on the Mercedes side. Yeah. Okay. Mercedes boss, Toto Wolff, has made it clear he will not interfere with the relationship between Red Bull and Renault. Um, Wolff has said that there are many factors that would be considered before talks could even commence. Um, Obviously, there's the, the contractual issues, but also... He says, if you look at it from Mercedes' perspective, it is probably the wrong thing to do to supply an engine to a fifth customer as it would put stress on the organization.
1: Interesting. The,
0: pr- the only problem I have with that comment is that right now, Lotus is running Mercedes' engines. If Lotus gets bought out and becomes a Renault team, Lotus is not going to run Mercedes' engines.
1: Right, so so you'd they be wouldn't trading be taking on somebody a new, fifth, a fifth one. Yeah, you'd be trading your fourths.
0: Now, he then goes on to say that um, supplying one of your championship contenders with big resources, it needs to be carefully judged and balanced as to whether we want to do that. From a global perspective, Red Bull is a really phenomenal brand which attracts younger audiences customers. Therefore, you cannot wipe it off the table and say from the team's perspective, it doesn't make any sense, so we're not looking at it so that but they haven't he he then goes on and says, but we haven't reached that point yet uh. which if you're talking about it, you've reached that if, if you know that these are the pros and cons and, and that you know there's a really big risk in turning around and giving your engine or supplying your engines to a team that is almost as well-resourced as you are, you've thought about it. You're already at that point.
1: I, I definitely think that they have thought about it. I think it's a very interesting idea to give the best engine on the grid to a team that... I mean, and I know Adrian is not nearly as involved in the design, but the best engine combined with Adrian Newey design they could have a serious problem on their hands. And mm-hmm. that's why when Ferrari was approached with the idea of doing a Red Bull engine, they said that they'd be one spec behind them. Yeah. Which, i it's the Ferrari way, I get it. But I can't imagine why any team would accept, oh, well, you'll be one spec behind the Ferraris.
0: I'm not completely convinced that the Mercedes aren't the same way. I'm really not.
1: Um, they came out and they said that they don't do it that way. That it's the same engine.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm still not completely convinced.
1: And maybe the same engine, is just not the right manual.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of rules changes, yes. moving on to rules changes, we've gotten more, well, we've gotten details about what the changes um, or the further restrictions for radio communications for the remainder of the season. now we already, we've talked extensively, we've heard extensively, and if you've watched any of the coverage, you know that the starts have changed. Yes. There's also changes when it comes to radio communications. Now, the only messages that may be passed to the driver while he is in the car and on track from time to time, uh, or, or from the time the car leaves the garage for the first time, after, hang on, let me start this all over again. I've got six messages that, are, only, are the only messages that may be passed to the driver whilst he is in the car and on the track from the time the car leaves the garage for the first time after the pit lane is open on the day of the race until the start of the race. So this is the Pre-set. pre-race stuff because originally they could get info on the clutch bite and they were told that that was too easy, whatever. Okay, so we have indication of a critical problem with the car such as puncture warning or damage indication of a problem with a competitor's car, instructions to enter the pit lane in order to fix or retire the car, marshalling information, uh, things like yellow flag, red flag, race start aboard, or other similar instructions or information from race control, wet track, oil, or debris in certain corners, and instructions to swap position with other drivers. Some of the other messages that will still be allowed. Weather information, um, number of laps remaining, information concerning damage, messages from race control, reminders about track limits, reminders to check for white lines, bollards, weighbridge lights when entering or leaving the pits, when to enter the pits, an oil transfer, change the front wing at the next pit stop, anything that has to do with mechanical um, condition, so drs failure engine you know those kind of pieces safety car information driving breaches by team driver or competitor um tire choice at the pit stop gaps between the cars in qualifying and that's only so that is to better position a car for a clear lap um encouraging them to push hard whether or not they're racing those are still allowed um gaps to competitors Lap time detail of a competitor. Okay. Um, lap or sector time detail, an acknowledgement that a driver message has been heard.
1: Okay. So I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty quiet race out there.
0: It, To some extent, it, it may be. I don't know. I like hearing the radio messages. I like the talk. I don't think it, I don't consider it coaching. And just because somebody is saying, hey, you're breaking late for that corner, it doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. So, hey, there could be a little drama after the race.
1: After race drama?
0: Yes. Um, Lotus is facing a threat that their cars are going to be impounded. <laughs>
1: How do you impound a Formula One car? Do you put a boot on it? But wait, you can't put a boot on it because they have to turn in the Pirelli tires. So do you they take the steering wheel away?
0: No. What will end up happening is they bring the crane in and they lift it up onto the back of the tailback or, or on onto the back of the flatbed and they drive it away.
1: Bye-bye. Yeah.
0: So for the second time this season we have a team getting in trouble with their drivers and getting sued over it
1: again
0: what has happened this time is frenchman charles peak charles peak who is one of the team's reserve drivers when he was signed as a reserve driver and that came with money from peak and his backers There was a clause in the contract guaranteeing him a certain amount of time behind the wheel. Uh The team has not met that clause. I don't think that they have put him behind the wheel at all. As a result of that, he is suing the team. Oh, no. And, you know, much like the issue over at Sauber, I sympathize with the driver. I'm sorry, the team just can't go and sign a deal with a driver, take their money, and then go off and do something else.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you, but I feel sorry for these drivers that are, feel like they are being forced to sue, and yet they're ultimately going to wind up ending their careers.
0: Well, the problem is in this case, and, and I'm not sure it, it will so much end his career, and Formula One needs to be taking really big notice of this, is this is a situation where he signed up as a reserve driver and the team was paid money by his sponsors for him to be the reserve driver. Okay. If teams continue down the road of signing drivers and taking money for sponsors and not putting the drivers out there, thereby denying the sponsors of their sponsorship, mm-hmm. sponsors are going to stop sponsoring drivers. Yeah. And that money's going to stop flowing in, regardless of all the other legal issues. This is a very, very bad precedent for Formula One to be doing and for teams to be doing.
1: Well, it's a horrendous precedent for them to be doing, and it it's bad for the sport because it's bad press. I mean, it is, here, give me your money and we'll do what we want to do. Wow, that sounds like Bernie.
0: Well, you've also got to think. Put look at it this way: the team is in, in Jenny I Capital, who owns it, is a venture capital firm, is from what we hear, rumored to be in a, a advanced state of negotiations to sell out the team to Renault. Mm-hmm. And now you have the possibility that. Assets from the team due to a financial issue can be seized. That completely undermines Jenny I capital's financial negotiating strength.
1: Oh yeah. But we knew they were in financial trouble to begin with, so
0: well, yes. They didn't you know, come from a there, strong position to start there, with. there is a distinct stink of desperation that comes with accept- accepting Pastor Maldonado's money. <laughs> That is what I am calling it, the stink of desperation. Any team that hires Pastor Maldonado for the PDVSA money, you have now assumed a stink of financial desperation.
1: But here's the thing. Hang on. Just wait. Here's the thing. We could not get through this show without a dig against Pastor Maldonado. Of course
0: not. Of
1: course not. All right, so can did he crash?
0: He did not crash in qualifying. That's all we know.
1: All righty. So maybe he'll get to the checkered flag this race, which I think would be, what is he running statistically? One out of ten races he makes it through?
0: Something disastrous like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, moving along.
2: Mm-hmm
0: in let's move a little closer to qualifying and and, and what we have seen so far okay because starting with McLaren and their issues over there
1: all right where are you planning on starting with McLaren
0: well I thought I would start with they have done some engine development work yes and despite the fact that There is still confusion as to whether or not they've turned up the engines to full power. They have come out and said that they have made significant performance improvements. And at this point, at this point, Mm -hmm. they believe that uh, they are on par or at least closing in on Ferrari.
1: What about matching to, oh, I don't know, Sauber?
0: Well, they're they're talking engine performance wise. So Sauber is a Ferrari team.
1: Okay. So, engine performance they're com- so they they could be talking about comparing to a backmarker team.
0: Yeah. But they want to get up they believe that, that at this point they have put enough improvements into the car that they're going to be faster than the Renault powered cars and they are targeting Ferrari, they think that's where they're going to be.
1: I wonder how they're going to do that, given the fact that they're entering the spa race with a 105 grid penalty.
0: Well, that's in reality, that is part of why they say they are targeting Ferrari. And, And these improvements, because they've already maxed out their engine allotment. Oh yeah. So in order to go and roll out these improvements in in these faster engines, they had to change them out, they had to incur the penalty. Right. That so performance-wise two different and the penalties two different things there.
1: Well, I understand that. But, but yes. I can't measure their performance if they're going to start at the Monza race.
0: No, if they were starting at the Monza race, they would have done better than pole. <laughs> Cause that's next week. That'd be starting in the future. If you're starting in the past,
1: they're starting what in Silverstone?
0: Uh, no, hundred five. Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
1: It's well. Let's see. There's twenty grid, twenty-two grid places per race.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So
0: five races back.
1: Five races back, plus the fact that they wouldn't be pole five races back.
0: You know that could be kind of interesting if you started doing it. That. You rack up so much in, in engine penalties. Your race, is it the track that we were at a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> How that would work in Monaco, I don't know. <laughs> you need to start the race in Monaco. We're sorry. <laughs> yes. and Oh, no, oh, by the way, it's the middle of the summer, so you got beach traffic to deal with on top of it. Yeah, that... <laughs> Yeah. Now, thanks to the changes in the rules, and yes, and even though they have racked up the one hundred and five play, and this this is combined for the two cars, so it's not individual car combined. They it's fifty some odd a car, um, but wow, my head just oh because of the the changes, and even though they've got these penalties, unlike the last time this happened, they're not getting time penalties and stop-go penalties during the race. It is merely the, just go to the back. I know. <laughs> That's all it is. Just go to the back.
1: Well, and I don't understand. I mean, I get. They, they wind up putting these huge penalties on cars. And why they just don't say if you exceed the, the engine allotment, you have to start from the pit lane. I mean, a 25-grid penalty, even if you were to qualify in pole position, you're going to start at the back of the grid. Start in the pit lane no matter what. Just do that. I think it makes it easier.
0: It, it does. Some of it is you don't want to end up with a team like Marusha who knows that they're not going to do anything they're they're going to stay in the back to just turn around and have somebody go here take a new you know every week take a new engine let me know what happens
1: what's going to stop and you don't
0: want that to happen
1: well you don't want that to happen but what's going to stop that from happening is marusha can't afford an engine every week
0: well no that would be part of the deal that would get negotiated okay if you guys just hang out in the back we're just going to keep giving you engines you know here services rendered move on (laughs) kind of a thing
1: so, Marussia becomes the test team for Mercedes essentially, or something?
0: Essentially. So, after all of that, yes. targeting Ferrari.
1: Targeting Ferrari.
0: So, with with that attitude, which really to come out and make those comments, and, and part of the reason why they made the engine change is because, as we've said before, Spa, just like Monza, is a power circuit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You need to be able to go fast to have a chance here. They were going to be down. So sure. the question was, if you're targeting Ferrari and you've made these engine changes, even if you're down on power, what do you think? Maybe getting out of Q1, maybe Q2, nipping at the heels of getting into Q3? That'd
1: be nice. You'd expect them at least to get out of Q1.
0: Yeah, not so much. Not only were they did they not get out of Q1 – they were well back from Q1.
1: They were, what, a second behind?
0: Yeah, something like that. You know what? Let, let's hear Jensen's comments.
1: Oh, Jensen.
2: Well, Jensen, it must be slightly odd heading into a qualifying session knowing that you're already carrying the number of penalties that you are, but you didn't sound too despondent in Team Radio at the end of that. No, I mean, you've got to give it your all as we, you know, we didn't have to qualify, really because we're qualifying right. We're going to start the race at the back, but um, we go out there to see what we have and to, to try and enjoy it, and uh, I did enjoy qualifying. My, my lap, I, f- I felt like I got everything out of the car, and uh, I felt that it was as good as my pole position lap here in 2012, um, and then you cross the finish line and you see you're a second slower than the guy in front. It's uh, puzzling, Um and obviously disappointing. Um, but uh, it's not just me was disappointed. The whole team, you know, we, we, you always hope for more, but it was always going to be a tricky race, this one. I think the cars in front as well have, uh, have gained a lot. They've done a good job here with the cars, but also Sauber, for example, have a big boost of power from their engine, um, which uh, elevates them, which uh, which hurts us as well. It's one of the biggest challenges tomorrow going to just be seeing the checkered flag? No, I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. I think... Challenging part will be for us as drivers, driving around for 44 laps and, uh, yeah, on our own. Um, hopefully we'll keep each other company and then uh, make it a bit more fun. Thank you.
1: I think Jensen's missing the chattiness of the rule change.
0: Well, kind of, but not, I mean, they're just keeping company as in somebody to race. Yeah. As opposed to, well, kind of, sort of, almost. Pretty bad qualifying laps every lap.
1: I can't believe how bad they qualified.
0: And the team still insists that the chassis is good. They go back and forth. They have been saying for months, and even Jensen was saying it a couple times, they think the chassis is good, it's just the engine. And Eddie Jordan had some great comments on it. Again, benefit of watching BBC, Eddie doesn't make all the races, he makes most of them, but when he does,
1: well he pulls no punches.
0: Yeah, so uh, let's hear Eddie's comments here. Just cloaking over the issue, are we not? We're sort of deflecting the problem. The problem is simple, that the drivers and the team believe that their chassis is okay. That's what Jonathan Neal has just told us. So what does that say? That says Honda are not doing the job. We've been told by Akai that they would have the same power as Ferrari here. Well, clearly they haven't. So what has happened to the great name and the great performance, technically and otherwise, of Honda? I fear for them. I really fear that they have
1: misjudged the whole competitiveness of Formula One in its current guise.
0: Yeah. Pulls no punches at all there, and you gotta wonder what Honda's strategy is gonna be.
1: Well, it's gotta be better than the current ostrich strategy.
0: I'm, I, I, the the only two options I see is either you figure out what the heck you're doing wrong, or you do what Honda has done several times in the past. And cut your losses and walk away before this makes you look even worse.
1: Well, see, that's the problem is they are only ten races in, eleven races in, I think now that spa's over, ten races into the season, and they're not there, I get it, but how do you cut your losses? How do you cut your losses this early in the process? And truly in F1 terms, this is still fairly early.
0: But given the cost of the engines and the cost of engine development, how much does it cost to get them this engine that will actually be competitive out there? And by the time they finally figure out what it is that they've been missing and the moronic way that F-1 goes and regulates itself, how likely do you think it is that... Right about the time that Honda finally gets this figured out, Formula One changes the rules.
1: Well, that's almost a guarantee. That is almost a guarantee. Now, I think that we have to go back to Jensen. Mm -hmm. I think he's made a fundamental mistake, and he has let his team down. Because in the past week, he has replaced the sparkling engagement ring that was stolen from his wife to the tune of 230 million pounds.
0: So what? You're suggesting that somebody go and drug him and, and put him out of his misery, put the, or drug the team and put make them fall asleep for the rest of the season so that somebody else can come in and steal all their stuff? No. And then they can come out and say, well, that's why we didn't do any well. Somebody dr- we we didn't do very well. Somebody drug us and stole our uh, stuff.
1: If it wasn't for those meddling children. Um, no, no. I think that he should have bought her a smaller ring
0: Giving the money to Honda,
1: no. Called up his buddy Lewis over at the Mercedes garage and say, "Hey, can we borrow one of your old used engines, so that one of the mechanics can take it apart and figure out how to make an engine work?" Well,
0: don't you recall last month we had that discussion? You yes. Know, sniff petrol,
1: Alonso, bind the
0: engine, shove it in there, and move on.
1: Yeah. Find and out what
0: this light means.
1: <laughs> I understand, yeah. but I think they should get a, a used engine from. I mean, they could get a Renault engine at this point. And somebody, you know, take it apart, figure out how they did it.
0: But just look at the engines. That, all, all the pictures that they took of last year's Mercedes engine that they had in the car. <laughs> That's all they need to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, don't, doesn't the McLaren technology. Oh, wait a minute. This
0: spinny thing was connected to that spinny thing. Not the one over there.
1: Well, in the Mercedes technology, not the Mercedes, the McLaren technology center. Don't they have the previous car? Doesn't it have the engine in it? Couldn't somebody go pop the roof and go, hey, let's go look at this? Yeah. I mean, you'd think that somebody could 3D print them out an old Mercedes engine and get more power. Yeah. Anyway.
0: So, other disappointments yesterday.
1: Oh, yes. Formula One. How have you disappointed me now?
0: Well, we had... Sebastian Vettel, who made it, you know, w- even though Ferrari is rebuilding, it has been looking like Ferrari is going to be the ones who are going to give Mercedes a run for their money. And Seb ended up in ninth.
1: Right. He said that he made a mistake. What was his critical mistake? He,
0: he came wide out of, one, out of one of the corners and lost time as a result of that. Oh, okay. Um, but in addition to that, at uh, what, about... Two or three minutes into uh, Q2, Kimmy's car apparently. Um, well, it, it seemed to have been hauling chickens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Something broke. Up this bit, Kimmy, up this bit. Uh. Okay, you... switch off. Kimmy, switch off. P0, Kimmy. Sorry
0: for that. P0. Now, now just to be clear, that wasn't me adding sound effects or somebody else adding sound effects. That was the actual audio coming from the car and the FIA as, well, Ferrari has said they had a loss of oil pressure, possibly a sudden loss of oil pressure. (laughs)
1: I was unaware that there were chickens inside the Ferrari car that yeah. are controlled by oil.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, You know, I have listened to that clip multiple times as we prepared for this show when we saw it <laughs> happen. I- I've listened to it a couple of times and I can close my eyes and I can just imagine Muppet Kimmy <laughs> and his Ferrari with the-, the chickens from the Gonzo Act all over his car and I can just see him going what's with all the chickens but yeah I also really love the fact that he led his radio message with "Eh, there's something wrong
0: yeah something's broken
1: think something's the matter
0: well those those are our favorite radio messages and we have several of them now we've we've acquired the collection (laughs) Nico Hulkenberg and uh, Max Verstappen there it's you know, anytime there's, yeah, something broke. <laughs> Thanks for that in depth analysis. <laughs> yeah.
1: There is, you know, does he have to? Oh, here's the other question I have. You know, when my car makes a funny noise, if I wind you called up, me
0: up and said something broke, I yell at you.
1: No, I have to go down and take it to the mechanic, and then I have to then proceed to perform said noise for the mechanic's sick pleasure while he tries to figure out what the heck is wrong with the car based on the fact that you know i'm making chicken noises what i want to know is in the ferrari garage when kimmy came back does the mechanic stand there and go okay kimmy so when it first started what did it sound like you know how did how did it feel when it first started can you make the noise that it made
0: okay this is kimmy he looked at them and said just leave me alone and fix the damn car
1: (laughs) true it's kimmy
0: Except he probably didn't use damn. He used something a bit stronger.
1: Another another word? Yes. Okay.
0: Use your imagination. He's Finnish, so, you know, come up with the the, the appropriate Finnish word.
1: Does it start with F?
0: I don't know. I don't know Finnish.
1: <laughs> 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 okay. So in what other ways has F1's qualifying disappointed me?
0: Um... Possibly the positioning of Pastor Maldonado, who did not crash out.
1: I know. He was very high up in the...
0: How about the, Grosjean in fourth?
1: Grosjean, awesome performance, but Sadly, unfortunately... he didn't stay there. Unfortunately, he had great grid penalties. Um,
0: and Valtteri Bottas in third.
1: I know. He's such an adorable one. Um, But, you know max verstappen you know the youngest driver in formula one he didn't make it out of q2 either
0: you know but but the the big talking point when it came to max unlike every other time it was not that he was the youngest driver at spa it was that he was born not far away from the track
1: no yes that is true now the bbc did do a really cool uh, little piece on max and his dad
0: it was outstanding, although I got to kind of wonder where his mom was, because she wasn't mentioned at all.
1: <laughs> no, apparently she does not exist. Max sprung from Voss's lo- loins, apparently. Joss. Joss's loins, um, with no female intervention whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but no, it's very cool. However, I have to tell you, and part of this is because I'm a parent, and that you get inundated with this idea of your children can succeed or fail and it's not a reflection on me as a human being. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, while I do my level best to be a great parent, my my son's successes and failures are his. And I'm quick to use third-person per- third pronouns when I discuss his successes or failures. He's really good at X. Mm-hmm. He had a problem with Y. It's not we. Joss... When he was talking about Max's career and going forward, every pronoun was we. Yeah. And that bothered me. It bothered me as a parent. Well,
0: I, what I wasn't completely clear on is whether or not he was talking we as in him and Max, or was he talking we as in the racing team that he has formed around Max, well, because it, it it was very clear in that that they have a, he has essentially set up a full on almost like at Formula One levels of organization and technology, and investment, um, a full on kart racing team around Max. Max knows all of the engineering bits and can work on the cars and they're building their own go-kart frames. They have every single one of those cars and every year is a different car that is modified and all designed. So it, it kind of made me wonder as to whether or not he was actually using that we as in him and Max or using that we as in the team that is us
1: no the racing team I, I can see the the thought and i i see your desire to try to make it not sound quite so bad but he was being asked about the potential to go to ferrari at some point because mm-hmm. max being such a superstar at such a young age every big team is keeping their eye out and watching him for his growth development sure and um so there's been talk about that Ferrari might be interested in him in the future, and the response was, "Well, we are still looking into it. We're 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 pleased at where Max's career is today. We're we're happy now." Well, my,
0: yes and no. When when I heard that one, Joss is also his manager,
1: right? And that could be part of and, it, And too. that
0: could be as well as speaking as the manager. And and, and I, I really don't know. What, what actually struck me more than that was they went out to the go-kart track with, mm-hmm. with all their stuff, and this is, a I guess, his home go-kart track. And Max is out there racing with in his Toro Rosso race suit and Toro Rosso F1 helmet. Yes. And all I could think was, okay, if you're one of the other guys on the track who is driving up against Mac Max, you're looking at him going, dude, get over it. We know you're in Formula One. Get <laughs> over yourself. This isn't the Formula One car. It's a flipping go-kart.
1: Yeah, but I'm wondering if that wasn't contractual. I was pretty sure that that was contractual as to it, why he had to do it that. It
0: may have been, but still.
1: But do you remember the part of the interview with one of his teammates And they said something about we've always known Max would go far and it's not been my dream to be in Formula One, but it was always Max's dream. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm pleased to have been part of the development. That guy, that guy I wanted to have a beer with. (laughs) That guy was pretty awesome. I mean, to be so young and you know, the compatriots of Max are all in their early teens, late teens, early 20s. And. To look at this guy with the maturity to say that was Max's thing. I just want to drive carts. I just want to drive carts. And I'm like, whoa! How awesome are you? So, yeah, that was pretty cool. The story was really cool. Yeah. Speaking of behind the scenes stories
2: mm-hmm.
1: and being a parent, the boy part of our bloke and a bird show would like for me to share with our our listeners about Daniel Caveat. Uh. Apparently, he's a slightly bit different than other Formula One drivers. Um, he's apparently extremely well-read.
0: Yeah, he's apparently a huge reader. Now, unlike most drivers, they will read the technical manuals and specs and aerodynamics and engine. No, he is into the literature and stuff like that. Now, my understanding that kind of what got him into it and, and is pointing to that is you know, if, whenever he talks to his parents in the Russian gulag that <laughs> 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 no but apparently it is his parents and we don't know if Vladimir Putin truly has them locked away in the gulag it wouldn't surprise me you, oh, win, you win or you don't see them
1: <laughs> well but he did he he exhausted reading stuff that was, like, sort of for his age group and went to his parents and said, well, what do you like to read? And it's, it's a value, apparently, in their family to be well-read. Mm-hmm. Um, but he reads specifically to take his mind off the race and de-stress. Yeah. And to keep calm. And so he's reading Tolstoy, of all things. Um,
0: well, the BBC gave him the unabridged war and peace.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I think he'll be reading on that for at least a race or two. So that was interesting to our young reader. So I have to say, to have that kind of tidbit out there for kids that are looking up at these drivers, for them to come out and go, I'm more than just a racing driver, I'm also well-read, I think that's a really good thing. And, you know,
0: it is frustrating is when you're watching the Olympics. They they break up the coverage with these human interest stories. Mm -hmm. The way that they are presented around Formula One, especially since these are in many ways the only time that you get to really see the personality of the drivers because they're behind that helmet. You don't see the expressions. You hear very little of the radio messages. I think it's a very important way of humanizing the sport, humanizing the drivers, and allowing the fans to connect with the drivers. And when the coverage package does not include that, as in many countries, it has a very negative impact on promoting the sport and the success of the sport within that country.
1: I think you're right.
0: And we've now brought us a full circle.
1: A full circle? Yay! It's like we planned it. Yeah. So what's next in our circle?
0: Well, no, we have gone the full circle for our coverage and for the show, I think, at this point.
1: Excellent. Does this mean that we can go check our download and see that if, if it's past 45%?
0: We can go check our download, see where that's at, and finally actually watch the race. Um, you know, those of you who have already seen it and going, yeah, it was an awesome race. And then the three of you are going, it sucked. <laughs> We'll get there eventually We'll get to talk about it next week Just a reminder because it seems that people Have not gotten the message The new likes On the Bloke and the Bird Facebook page Once we hit number 100 Because we haven't gotten any I know you're listening We haven't gotten any But once we hit like number 100 On the Bloke and the Bird Facebook page Not for the show itself But for the Bloke and the Bird Facebook page we have a special prize for you and if you don't know what it is you need to go back and listen to last week's show
1: yes all right on that on
0: that on that note remember you can find us over on iTunes leave us a review tell us how much you like listening to us you can find us over on stitcher and with that we will call it a show